Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome to First Baptist Wimberley. I hope you had a great spring break. Did anybody get a spring break out there? A couple of y'all did. Yeah, Tara and I went to Fredericksburg on Thursday, and I'm sure I saw you there because everybody in the universe was there. Just incredible. But uh, it's good to be here today. One year ago today, you guys had the lack of wisdom to vote me in as your interim pastor. Did you know that? So... It's been quite the adventure over this year. I wasn't looking for a a church to pastor, and y'all sure weren't looking for the interim to become your pastor, but God has a way of doing things we don't expect, and I think it's all for his glory. And Tara and I are very glad, very fortunate, very blessed to be here with you, living in the big city of Wimberley, uh, where you can get barbecue at any moment. It's great. It's like being in heaven. So um, I'm excited to be here, excited to be part of what God's doing here And we've seen a year of amazing growth and life change. And that's really been exciting to watch God do this great thing about building lives that honor him. Now today, I'm gonna be straight up with you. I'm gonna preach to me. Y'all just get to listen. Because I need this sermon. Have y'all ever been there? Of course, you ain't never been here. You don't wanna be here, I wanna tell you that. But. Many, many times as I'm preparing and walking through a passage of Scripture, God's doing a bigger work in my life than he ever does in your life. And I think that's part of the, the reason that God called me to be a pastor. I had a, one of my staff member, members at one time, he looked at me and said, man, if you weren't a pastor, you'd be a train wreck. Yes, that's true. Y'all could see that, can't you? But God in his grace and his wisdom, because he loves Tara so much, that uh, he's working on me all the time. But today we're gonna talk about faithfulness of God, hope of the provision of God. Have you ever been in a season that you thought things are just gonna run out, that you're just not gonna have anything? And we say God is faithful. And you ask the question, is God faithful? And many of you say, well, that's a silly question, but is that really silly? Because we'll pontificate it with our mouth, but we'll not believe it in our heart nor live it with our hands. And we'll say God is faithful, but we don't believe it. And we fret and we worry and we wring our hands and we say, oh my, and we tie our emotions to the stock market with its ups and downs or diagnosis with its ups and downs. And I love doctors and physicians, but they don't have the last say of life. Did y'all know that? They could give you a prognosis, but it surely is just that. My doctor told my sister that she was going to die within a year, and 30-something years later, she's still aggravating folks. So it's up to God. But I say this because I worry and fret. Allow me to give you some worry facts. How about that? You can go ahead and take out your, uh, your take the weekend with you notes. You might want to write these things down, because as I worked on this, I thought, Lordy, this is just not good for me at all. The word worry comes from a Germanic word, a Germanic word, Germany, that means to strangle. Means to strangle. Worry chokes the life from me. Worry binds me in a future that may or may not be reality, and it puts a stranglehold on my heart and on my future. Are y'all with me so far? When I worry, I'm really imputing God and his character. 
I say that God is faithful and that he is good, but when I worry, I put God on trial. And who am I to put God on trial? God's God, I'm not. I cannot be God's judge, nor can you. Worry puts a fog in my mind and a confusion in my direction. Evie Hill, the great preacher from Los Angeles, he said, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. And what he's saying, if the pastor doesn't know the direction the church is to head, then the people are completely confused. And so I always pray for clarity. Where does God want us to go? Clarity is a gift of the Holy Spirit. God says, I will direct your path. Means in the clarity of who he is. But when I worry, I put a fog in my mind. Worry, a worried mind is a foggy mind. Are y'all still with me? Okay, now, a fog, this is interesting, a fog that covers seven city blocks and is 100 feet deep contains less than one glass of water. Seven blocks long, one, 100 feet deep, one glass of water. Now, who does studies like this? People with nothing else to do. That's right. But I think about that, that worry, it, it covers that. A lots of fog, but not much water. I'm not going to drown in that. But I'm going to be confused by that. My dad said these things. Most of the things we worry about don't happen, and if they do, they don't amount to much. That's my dad, L.V. Weatherford. His initials were Linton Velpo. My grandparents run out, ran out of names completely. <laughs> Named him Linton Velpo. I'm glad I'm not a junior. It's time really to clear these things up. Now, today I'm going to be speaking about the hope of God's restoration, God's provision, and our renewed hope. And God tells us to trust him. And we should. And we say we trust God, but our worry says something different. Now, I've challenged you in the past that when you say one thing and you, you act another way, you're practicing practical atheism. Now, remember uh, several months ago, I said, hold out your, your left hand. Now, go ahead and do this again. Hold out your left hand. Look at your left hand and say, sometimes I'm not faithful. No, that was pitiful. Try it again. Sometimes I'm not faithful. Now, hold out your right hand. But God is faithful. Sometimes I'm not faithful, but God is faithful. All right, that's enough. Y'all are looking like Pentecostals now. That's, that's exactly. It's all right. But isn't that true? We say these things, but we don't live these things. We must remember that following Jesus is about surrendering our lives, not just attending a gathering. It's not what I show up to, it's what shows up in me that matters. I've said it to you lots in this last year, you could go stand in a barn all day and never become a horse. You have to be born a horse to be a horse. And you have to be born again to be a follower of Jesus. And you got to remember who you are and to whom you belong. Well, how do, find, how do I find hope in the face of worry? Uh, can I really trust God to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory? And I really need my hope renewed this morning. 
I really need to settle the worry fog in my mind that I can live with clarity. Am I by myself? Okay, there's four no's over here. The rest of y'all don't know what I said. You're just kind of, you're foggy over there. Am I by myself on this? No. So let's lean in and let's look at Jesus's most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount. And let's see what he has to say about worry and about his provision. And let's find our hope renewed. Okay, y'all ready for this? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. That will not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us into all understanding. And I thank you for how incredibly faithful you are. Let us not be practical atheists, but Father, let us be fully yours. Thank you for who you are. Speak now. We, we need to hear from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So as we start this, I want, guys, I want to remind you about Thursday night. Thursday night, we're having our minute first gathering, and we're having a Texas campfire. So if you'll meet out by the pond, we'll have a, a fire pit going. We'll have uh, some, we're going to cook some hamburgers, and it'll be a great gathering of guys. And if you're young enough and brave enough to play bubble ball, we'll have that available. Now, some of you are saying, what is bubble ball? If you're over 40, you don't want to play bubble ball. If you're over 50 and you play bubble ball, broken hips kill more old people than anything else, okay? Just remember that. All right, so uh, this, this is gonna be a lot of fun. We'll have cornhole, you can fish, you could, uh, we'll be together at 6.30 this Thursday night. So here's some thoughts about this, and, and we're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter six, verses 24 and following. Now, it's really interesting. I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, and maybe I'll do that again for you if the Lord will let me stay long enough where I could do that. But uh, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount is kind of overwhelming. There's been so many books written on, on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I've got collection after collection of collection of theologians who've written the, about the Sermon on the Mount. And I've never seen these passages of Scripture coupled together. And this week, as I was reading this, I went, why not? They fit together. In fact, Jesus makes a transition statement in verse 24. He says, therefore which says that all these things that he's been talking about have led up to this transition of the application of therefore. Therefore, now listen to what he says. Therefore, no man can serve two masters. All these things Jesus has said about the Sermon on the Mount comes down to the call of lordship. Therefore, no one can serve two masters. Throw that passage up on the screen for us so we can see that. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the, the King James translated manon, which is being sustenance or stuff. You can't serve God and stuff. What I've discovered, the most we worry about usually involves stuff, doesn't it? Now, we often worry about our children and whether they have enough stuff, right? But we cannot serve it. There, we have a, a divided mind. Therefore, I tell you, he said all those things about lordship. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And this is very interesting. 
The Sermon on the Mount is a clear discourse on how I am unable to live my life without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. As I read through the Sermon on the Mount, and theologians have supported this thought that Jesus was saying, you guys are train wreck. You can't do this. And he preached to show us our complete inadequacy. But he came to reveal himself to, to us that in him we might have full adequacy. I can't turn the other cheek. You know, it's interesting. Turning the other cheek doesn't mean to turn it so it's slapped again. It's turning it so you may be kissed. Huh. Turn it, you hit me here. So come on, come and kiss me right here, darling. Huh. That's a little different than hit me again. It said, no, even though you've abused me, I'm inviting you into intimacy. Come on. I can't do that. I, I can't pray. I, I, I judge. I, 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 can't, I can't do anything without Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount just shows us the fact that we need Christ. And as we walk through this, Jesus gets towards the end of it, and he says, it's about lordship. And you're trying to serve all these things. And it boils down to me. And then you worry about your life. And I want you to notice this. Jesus is always calling us deeper and deeper and deeper into levels of commitment. Now, some of y'all picked up on this around here. Let me tell you why. Do you know we ask you to sign commitments at several places? We ask you to sign a membership commitment. Why? Because you do not grow without commitment. You don't. Casual never leads to anything but casual. Commitment leads to depth. We ask you to commit to grow, to be like Christ. You commit to connect. You commit to grow. We ask you to commit to serve. We ask you to commit to share. That's, uh, we're going to be teaching the share experience uh, next month. And then we'll have all four, connect, grow, serve, and share. These experiences that we're asking for levels of commitment. And then if you're a leader, we up the level of commitment even a little higher. Then we say, we want you to commit to these things. Then if you're a pastor on staff, we really ratchet it up. Because we ask you to, to be committed at these levels. Why? Because you do not grow without commitment. Listen, I'm going to give you the pattern of Jesus. This is Jesus' commitment levels. It starts with, come and see. Just come and see. Come hang out with me. Do you know what next weekend is, y'all? Next weekend, Palm Sunday Picnic is a come and see event. Where I ask people, just come hang out with us. Eat the fatted hot dog. You know, come hang out with us. I've gotten some terrible news from my doctor. I have discovered that I am allergic to sugar. Yeah, I break out in fat. It's terrible. <laughs> so here's what I think. Bring something sweet to eat and someone sweet to meet. That was really cheesy, but it works, okay? So it's a come and see event. Y'all, every time we get together, you ought to be excited about saying, come and see. On the 14th of April, we're having a big car show, bike and car show with barbecue out on the parking lot. One where we, have we lost our minds? Yes, because it's a come and see event. Wouldn't it be great if heaven was full of bikers? Yeah. 
Yeah. Come and see. But then Jesus had a next level of commitment. He said, come and follow. Come and follow. And that's not just going and seeing and being casual, but that's that next level of commitment that says, I'm going to follow Jesus. Don't listen to him. And then you know what he says? He says, come and serve. Serve me by serving others. And then finally, his final level of commitment is this. Come and die. Give up your life for me. Give up your life for me. And Jesus ratchets up commitment. Can you imagine the day that Jesus said, hey, if you guys want to hang out with me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Ugh. I'm out. But what he's literally saying is that you have to let me be your embodiment. You have to let me be your all in all. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, in this passage in particular, Jesus is really getting to the heart of our vexation. And he's saying, you know what? You worry about this and this and this, but I want you to lay down your life so I can give it back to you. I want you to come and surrender to me so I can show you how great and marvelous I am. And he changes the way. You see, the whole concept of worry is rooted in lordship. Who is going to be your God? (sighs) When Jesus says, what is your life? Is it more than eating and drinking? I looked at that in the Greek, and the word life there means the whole encompassing, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, everything. What is your life? Now, we're really good at compartmentalizing our life, aren't we? We have our work life, and we have our driving life, and we have our church life, and we have whatever. And y'all could be in the biggest fight as a family you could ever be in, and you pull up in this parking lot, and there's somebody in the parking ministry opens your door and goes, Bless God, hallelujah, I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, God. And what you've done is you've compartmentalized your life. And how do you act at H-E-B and how do you act here? Is it different? Is it different? Is what you see or what you get or is it some kind of putting on a display or is it the inward dwelling of the Spirit in your heart? Hmm. Jesus wants all of you, not parts of you. Let me repeat that. Jesus wants all of you and not parts of you. And like I said before, I've heard this passage taught in segments, but I've never put it together in the single thought or lesson of what Jesus really was saying about two masters leads to the confusion of the heart and the fogginess of the mind, which produces itself and manifests itself in worry. See, Jesus is into extreme ownership, and he wants all of you. And how does that make you feel? Some of you going, duh. I knew that. Really? Are you living that way? I titled this thought, What Are You Doing? What Should You Be Doing? Because my wife asked me that a lot. <laughs> what are you doing? What should you be doing? And usually I'm doing what she preferred me not to be doing. That's why she's asked me the question. What are you doing? What should you be doing? 
And so Jesus asked that of me and of you today. What are you doing? What should you be doing? Hmm. So stop worrying and start trusting. That sure is easy to say, isn't it? I want you to stop worrying and start trusting. All right, we're good. Peace out. See you later. Go to Whataburger. All's good. Really? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap nor they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, not, are you not more value than they? Aren't you worth more than the birds? Yesterday, Terry and I had an interesting conversation about ball moss. Y'all know what ball moss is? It grows in your trees. And Tara said, we need to cut down all the limbs that have ball moss on them. I said, baby, there won't be a tree left on this place if we do that. And, and I said, in fact, I've heard it said that ball moss is not harmful to the tree. Yes, it is. It's a parasite. It kills a tree. So I asked Siri, Siri. <laughs> she's a smart girl. You know that? Sometimes she doesn't understand me and I have to yell at her, but she's a smart girl. And she said, you know what? Ball moss is not parasitic. It could exist on a power line. You've seen it there. It actually doesn't hurt the tree, but it does impede leaf growth. But it's not harmful to the tree. In fact, it's very helpful to the ecology because small bugs live in the ball moss that the birds feed on. And I said to Tara, I said, Tara, do we want to deprive the little birds of something to eat? And she said, them birds can go eat someplace else. There's plenty of ball moss all over this place. And the truth is, she just doesn't like the way it looks. But aren't we more important than birds? If God could design a ball moss to feed a bird, don't you think he can meet your need? So next time you look at the ball moss hanging in your oak tree, just say, God is good. <laughs> and we might want to cook some of that ball moss to see what it tastes like. It might be good as well. We could start a ball moss industry here in Wimberley and supply all of your needs according to the mossy glorious splendor of that non-parasitic plant. All right, let me go on. This is getting ridiculous. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. So if God clothes the grasses of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, now literally what he's talking about, gathering up dried flowers and using them to start an oven to bake bread. Uh, now, are y'all excited about the blue bonnets finally coming out? Oh, the blue bonnets are out. Oh, the paintbrushes are out. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're pretty, aren't they? And God says, hey, I do all that. And you're more important to me than blue bonnets. Whew. And while not much more than, will he not much more than clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When he talks the word Gentiles, He's talking about unbelievers. He's speaking to a Jewish crowd 
And he said, folks, the people who don't even know me worry about this. And you claim you know me and you worry about this? What's up? What's up? I want you to grasp this. You really matter to God. You really do. He knows all the days of your life before there was one. He's loved you with an everlasting love. He's wooed you with tender kindness. Nothing catches him off guard. He's not shocked or surprised. And he loves you forever. You really matter to God. You really do. Yesterday, our little girls came over. Our little Lily and our little uh, little Ivy came over with Kayla and John. And I love those little girls. And they matter to me. But my love for them cannot even begin to compare to God's love for me. Even when I'm boneheaded and stupid, God loves me. Even when I'm rebellious and sinful, God loves me. Even when I'm anxious and worried, God loves me. There's nothing I could do to separate God's love from me. Death can't. Angels can't. Demons can't. Worries about today, worries about tomorrow, they can't. No power in heaven, no power on earth, no power under heaven. Nothing in all creation could separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing. Nothing. You really matter to God. Now, what Satan is saying to you right now, yeah, that preacher saying that, and he probably, God probably does love him. And of course, we know God loves me more than he loves y'all, right? No, not even close. God loves me in spite of me. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. God loves you. And Satan is right now saying to you, well, not really. He loves all them other folks around here, but he doesn't love you. That's a lie right out of hell. God loves you. Your life matters to him. The psalmist says this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's seed beg for bread. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. Tara and I have endured seasons of our life when we've literally lost everything, including our home. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He's a restorer. Why is he faithful? Because he owns everything. He owns everything. We really don't own anything. We just get it on lease. You think you own your house? You don't own your house. You're just living there. God owns it. You're going to die one day and somebody else is going to own it. God owns everything. God controls everything. Nothing is out of his reach. Nothing is out of his command. Nothing's out of his control. God is never in a quandary about what to do. He owns everything. And God provides everything. How do you get your living? Guys, we like to ask this question. And what do you do for a living? And we'll give some title. We always want to make it bigger and better sounding than it truly is. I was doing the men's conference several years ago in Alabama. And I was asking the guys, what do you do for a living? And one guy stood up and said, I'm a sanitation engineer for the glory of God. He's a garbage man. But he picked up trash for Jesus. 
And that's, that's the attitude he had. But you know what? If you, if you, say, all right, you start pulling on your lines of provision. Okay, oh, let's just pull on my line. I'm a pastor. And I'm the pastor of First Baptist Wimberley, Texas. And I pull on it and I get to First Baptist Wimberley. And the generosity, the tithes and offerings here uh, contribute to monetary well-being. You guys pay me a salary. And I have that salary. And uh, I'm an author, so I make millions from my book sale. I want to tell you something. Don't you write a book to get rich, okay? I got my first commission check, $124. Yeah, anyway. So I, so, but when I, when I pull on that rope a little further, I, I, find, I find God. He's the one. He's the one. My dad taught me a long time ago. He said, son, I want to tell you something. You work for Jesus. You don't work for man. Now, you need to be supportive and, and respectful, but you need to remember, don't you be afraid of losing a job. You work for God. You serve God with integrity, and God will always make sure that you have a job. You work for Jesus. You're not a hireling. Right out of seminary, I went to a church in South Georgia, and uh, two months into that, I was the 25 years old, right out of seminary, I was the associate pastor of music, education, and youth. I drove the bus and cleaned the bathrooms. That was my job, and we had a pastor. And the pastor resigned two months into it. He left me with them by myself, 25 years old. The day he left, he pulled away in his van. The biggest reprobate in town died, and I had to do his funeral. I mean, thrown into the fire. And I remember at a deacon's meeting, not like, there was one of these deacon-led churches. Not long after that, the deacon said, boy, you better do what we tell you to do. We'll fire you. We hired you, we could fire you. That's what they said to me. I remember poking up my little 25-year-old chest and said, I'll tell you something, boys. You didn't hire me. I'm called by God. And I'll serve God as long as I need to serve God, and it ain't here. It'll be someplace else. They went, well, that little whippersnapper. <laughs> and I went home, and I cried. I don't know what I've done. I'm going to get fired. But that's the truth, y'all. We can never live in the fear of man. But fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He owns everything and provides everything. Now we have to live out what we say we believe. Hmm. So it means I have to shift my focus. The word for transformation, metanome, means to change my focus or to be metamorphosed. I have to change my focus. And this is what Jesus said. You got all these worries. You're anxious about this, anxious about that. No man can serve two masters. He'll love the one, he'll hate the other. And so therefore, quit worrying. And then he says, but. But. And here's the answer. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What? You mean if I shift my focus and I see what God wants, it's going to be added to me. 
We started a church in South Texas down in Victoria. And uh, interesting, it's a church plant. First Baptist Church Victoria said that they wanted to start a church on the north side of town that would reach people nobody else was reaching. So a core group of families, 17 adults and their children, stepped out of that church and they called me to be their pastor. And when they called me to be their pastor, the denomination entity that was supporting the church plant who was going to help pay the pastor pulled their funding because it was me. They pulled their funding. They were going to give $2,400 a month for pastoral support. And when they found out it was me, they said, no, we're not going to support you because we don't like him. They didn't even know me. They got to know me. They'd hate my whole family. They didn't know me. <laughs> they pulled our funding. And, and our people said, you're our pastor. We don't care what they say. And God supplied all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And that little old church meeting in a mall grew to a mega church in South Texas. And God just did such an incredible thing in that church. And this is what I told them from day one. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. If we will worry about what God is worried about, he will take care of what we're worried about. If we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then he will take care of us. And I've watched that little church. We went through this and this and this and this. And I could tell you miracle after miracle after miracle. First Baptist Church gave us 14 acres of land. It was literally in a rice field. You couldn't build anything there but a house on stilts. They said, bless you, we want to give you this 14 acres. (laughs) Thanks. We sold that 14 acres for $240,000. Went across the road and bought 40 acres on the corner of two five-lane roads for $240,000. You tell me who does stuff like that. God does. God does. And we never, ever struggled because we sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I might not tell it, but I'm going to. It's in my book. I tell it in my book, so I guess it's out. A few years later, our church was, had about a $3 million budget, and we were giving a lot to missions. And the entity who pulled our funding wanted us back in their fold because we had some cash then. And they invited Tara and I up to the Riverwalk to spend a couple of nights on their dime. And they were going to, like, you know, take us out to dinner and, and then talk to us about what they had on. So we, we accepted yeah, if you're going to put me up in the river off for two nights, I'm there. Terry and I went, and the head of this denomination, he said, I just want to pray over you and Tara. And so he was praying, and then Tara starts crying. Now, remember what I told you about Tara crying? When she cries, she ain't sad. She's mad. And I looked at her and went, oh, my. She's crying. And he finishes praying. It was a really sweet prayer. And he said, said to Tara, said, darling, I could see you got emotional while I'm praying. What's the Lord saying to your heart right now? That's what she said. I was just thinking back about how we were going to feed our children when you pulled our funding. God is faithful. God is faithful. Now this church, we ain't a part of that bunch, y'all. 
Is that too hard to tell y'all? God is faithful. And he will take care of us because he provides everything. So I have to shift my focus. Seeking is a powerful word. It means to shift my focus and to look at with intent. I'm going to seek after God and his kingdom. My first thought has to be, what does God want? Not what do I want? What's easy for me? What's convenient for me? What does God want from me? And when my focus is shifted, it's a declaration of lordship. I will live for Jesus. The kingdom of God is always towards people. It's never a place or property. It's always people. So the seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness for us in the Wimberley Valley is to make sure that everyone under the sphere of our influence knows Jesus and can live all for him. That's what it means. That means that you're brought in and you're built up and you're trained for and you're healed up and you're sent out. That's what that means. That means we exist to build lives that honor God by seeing people connected to Christ and connected to the church, by growing to be like Christ in character, by serving God, by serving others, and by contagiously sharing the love of God in word and deed all over the world. And that's a life that honors God and that's what we're to be about. That means to shift our focus. I must desire what God desires. The psalmist said it this way, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and, and, befriend, and, and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. I love this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. The Acts church, the church in Acts chapter 2 They displayed this. They knew that God would provide for their needs, so they got their head on the swivel and they started providing for each other's needs. In God's word, you see heavenly provision found in a couple of caveats. Manna and quail during the wilderness journey, Elijah being fed by the ravens, and everywhere else through scripture, Jesus breaking fish and loaves, But even in that, a little boy provided the fish and the loaves. God is always using people to meet needs. So I'd say this to you. You'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see a need, you meet a need. You have an opportunity to give, you give. You shouldn't say what's in it for me, but you say what's in it for God. How can I best use my life for the global glory of God? Then I will live in the promise of his provision. You know, the fog of worry is dispelled in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When I say to Jesus, I'm yours, then worry goes away. And I'm saying that to me. I'm saying that to me. Because as I age and as I get older and as things get more complicated and my children and and, and you guys... I worry about y'all. Why am I worried about y'all? I worry about y'all because you got me for a pastor. I'm worried about that. (laughs) But I have to say, God, what do you want? And I don't want to live in a foggy mind, but I want to see clearly. 
So I think about the writer of Hebrews who says this, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. What do I have to worry about? What do I have to worry about? Do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Has there been a time in your life where you've intentionally surrendered your life to the care and control of Jesus Christ? Are you just playing church? If you trusted in Christ, then live in holy boldness. If you haven't trusted in Christ, today's the day. Today's the day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've said to us in your word this morning. And I pray that we will not just go through the exercise of church or the experience of church. But Father, in the middle of the church, the gathering, we'll find you the clarity of the Savior. And the worry of fog can be dispelled. Father, I know that there's folks in this room that are worried about their health. And I pray that they will delight themselves in you and you will give them the desire of their heart. Father, I know there's people in this, this room that are worried about their money. Father, that they will trust in you and do good and you will let them prosper in the land. Father, there's folks in this room that worry about their kids. And you say to raise up a child the way he should go and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Father, there's folks in this room that are worried about just worry. And their minds are foggy and their lives are directionless. God, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you will clear things up today and we could delight ourselves in you. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for what you've said to me today. And I pray that I will live as a man of faith and not a man of fear. And that, Father, you will be the Lord of my life and I will follow you until you come for me. Folks, with your heads bowed in this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. To simply pray and ask Jesus to be your savior. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or do anything else, but this morning, as you look into your life saying, has there been a time? I don't care how long you've been going to church. Has there been a time that you said yes to Jesus? If not, then today's the day. Simply pray with me this prayer. Pray it silently. It's only between you and the Lord. Pray believing. Pray this, Lord Jesus, right now I give my life to you. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. You come into my heart and be my savior. And I'm gonna live for you. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. If you just prayed that prayer with me, then welcome to the family of God. You've just stepped in to the family of God. Father, I pray that we will not leave this room the same, but we'll leave this room forever changed. Jesus, we are yours. We pray this in your strong name. Amen.